This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America. On this edition of the program, as we enter the new year, we review the top stories that dominated 2022. What were the defining domestic and foreign stories of the past and what issues will reverberate in 2023? Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. Russia's unprovoked and unlawful invasion of Ukraine on February 24 was probably the most consequential geopolitical event of the year. Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision to take Ukraine by force, denigrate its president and its citizens as Nazis, and commit atrocities against civilians and civilian infrastructure precipitated fierce resistance from Ukraine and rallied most democracies in the West to impose punishing sanctions on Moscow. Vladimir Putin's goal of conquering Ukraine and dividing the West backfired. Instead, he succeeded in uniting and strengthening the transatlantic alliance behind Ukraine, even prompting previously neutral Finland and Sweden to request NATO membership. Chinese President Xi Jinping, with whom Putin enjoys a strategic partnership, consolidated his power at the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, an ominous sign for freedom, democracy, and human rights values at home and abroad. Speaking of freedom, the U.S. Supreme Court dealt a blow to reproductive freedom in the United States. In June, the ultra-conservative Supreme Court struck down the landmark ruling Roe v. Wade, which guaranteed a constitutional right to abortion in the United States for almost 50 years by remanding jurisdiction over abortion to the states, some of which immediately banned or severely restricted the procedure, the five conservative justices who rendered the decision energized the pro-choice movement to vote for Democrats in the November U.S. midterm elections. As it turned out, the Democrats fared far better than expected in a congressional election where the president's party historically loses dozens of seats in Congress. Instead, the Democrats held the Senate and even gained a seat. They kept their losses to a minimum in the lower chamber or House of Representatives. As one political analyst told me, it was a precedent-smashing election. Speaking of consequential elections, South American giant Brazil rejected right-wing incumbent Jair Bolsonaro, ushering in former left-of-center President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva in November. In contrast to his predecessor, Lula has vowed to protect and preserve the Amazon rainforest, which is key to curbing global climate change. Lula is being sworn in on January 1, 2023. We will discuss the ramifications of these and many other stories which riveted and rocked the globe, including the women-led anti-regime protests in Iran, the hearings and final report of the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol and former President Donald Trump's significant role in it. The world witnessed with sadness the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch, and soccer fans overcame misgivings about Qatar hosting the World Cup and marveled at Morocco's Atlas Lions, who made history by being the first team from an African and Arab country to qualify for the FIFA World Cup semifinals. Well, for more on the major domestic and international stories of 2022, we turn to two top-notch reporters. Tracy Wilkinson is senior foreign policy writer for the Los Angeles Times, and Michael Williams, he is Washington correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia, and both panelists join me via Zoom. 
Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here, Carol. Let me begin with Tracy Wilkinson. I gave a bit of a laundry list there, but what stands out for you in this past year? For me, the most important international story, by far Ukraine, because I don't think one can overstate the possible ramifications. You know, what is at stake if Russia succeeds in basically destroying Ukraine as an independent country? It really does kind of shatter what has been, to use the cliche, the international world order of nominally at least sovereign nations coexisting. And it would validate Putin's very brutal tactics in which he has ignored all international law and basically thumbed his nose at the West, threatened to use nuclear power and allowed or encouraged his troops to conduct some of the most brutal atrocities we've seen in a long time, at least in Europe. It's shown us a lot about Putin. It's shown us the weakness of sanctions. You know, the West has tried to impose and has imposed numerous sanctions, and yet Putin has managed to get around them. So I think the implications are, and the ramifications are going to go on for a very long time with Ukraine. And, you know, we've seen the heroism of Volodymyr Zelensky, the former comedian, now president, who has been masterful at addressing Western audiences and has managed to get the United States and NATO to provide a fair amount of weaponry to him, although he wants more. It's a story that could change history. I don't mean to be melodramatic, but it really is that important. And the other story you mentioned, the most important story domestically, has been the Roe v. Wade decision for two reasons. One, because it takes away a basic right that women have enjoyed for half a century and really tells women that they cannot control their bodies, that a legislature usually dominated by white men will tell them what they can do with their pregnancies. And then the second part of that is what this tells us about the transformation of the Supreme Court, where kind of ironically, a president who cared very little about institutions was used to transform the Supreme Court, one of the most important institutions in this nation, to a very conservative and some critics say most partisan court in many, many years. And the United States will be stuck with that for a while. We've seen, you know, already numerous decisions where they seem to side with Republican states, Republican governors, the Republican agenda. And just right now, they've allowed an immigration restriction imposed during Trump to continue, though it was supposed to expire. So I think the transformation of the Supreme Court is the other part of that story that, again, is going to be with us for a long time. Let me now turn to our colleague, Michael Williams, for your take. Michael, what would you like to add? I would just like to concur with Tracy on the lead story in world news certainly has to be Ukraine. When this conflict began, many people were predicting that Putin would simply walk through Ukraine and that we would be talking about defending Hungary and Poland. I have friends even in Vienna who were packing go bags, thinking that there was just going to be this huge military push of Russia towards the West. And you look at what this wholly unexpected leadership of Vladimir Zelensky has done. His leadership has been fierce, dogged, extraordinary. And I have to repeat, wholly unexpected, at least by me. And when I saw his speech in the joint session of the U.S. Congress in the Capitol, the power of that speech the magnitude
magnitude of it, the impact of it. I feel at that moment, he became functionally the leader of the free world, which is the title that had been given to U.S. presidents for decades. But I feel at that moment, he became the leader of the free world. I think this conflict has exposed both Vladimir Putin and Russia. It's been a loss of face for him. It's a sloppy and mismanaged affair. It's left him weakened in the eyes of his opponents in the West, but more importantly, in the eyes and vulnerable to political opposition from within. This was an attempt to cement his image as a popular strongman, an attempt to return the Soviet Union to its previous borders. And really, he's just exposed vulnerabilities of his forces and of himself. Going forward, the question is going to be when diplomacy is going to be able to take hold. Zelensky is saying that he will only be willing to talk when all land is returned to Ukraine, including Crimea, which goes back to 2014. The Kremlin is saying it'll fight until all its aims are achieved, but who knows what those aims are when you're talking about a capricious and egomaniacal strongman. I agree again with Tracy. The magnitude and the importance of this issue can't be overstated. And we look to see what a Republican-led House of Representatives, which handles the purse strings in the United States, what they are going to do and accomplish in terms of continuing aid to Ukraine. There are some more right-leaning members that are talking about withholding, even suspending aid to Ukraine. And the position of many diplomats is that either you can send money and arms now to Ukraine or be ready to send troops to Europe at some point. That's what could possibly be at stake. Within the United States, I agree the shift of the Supreme Court is huge. But I also think that an equally important story is the January 6th commission. This commission was a truth-finding exercise. And I find that to be extremely important in a society within the United States that less and less requires the truth in its daily functioning. There's even sort of been a disdain for truth in our political and governing process over the course of the last 8, 12, maybe even 20 years, if you want to go back that far. But this committee has did its work and found the truth about what led to the worst civil insurrection since the Civil War, domestic insurrection since the Civil War. It found that those in the White House, including the former president of the United States, were complicit in creating a situation where people were attempting to actively overthrow a U.S. election, to overthrow a government. Now, the committee has no power to actually press charges or indict anyone. These are simply referrals or recommendations that are made to the department. Department of Justice. But it will remain to be seen what is done with those recommendations. Will there actually be indictments? Will a former president actually be indicted and accused and maybe even prosecuted of crimes against his own country? Some say that having the top officials or former top officials, including a president, indicted and prosecuted would tear the country apart. I am in the camp that says truth and justice are the only things that keep the country together. So if the truth is that these things need to happen, then let them happen. But the fact that we did have an exercise that was participated in by some of the most fervent conservatives in Congress, I think it's important for the United States and sort of reignites the idea that truth and justice are tenets and principles by which this country will go forward. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, you are listening to Encounter on the Voice of America. Our guests are Tracy Wilkinson, senior foreign policy writer for the Los Angeles Times, and Michael Williams, from whom you just heard. He's Washington correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia. They join me via Zoom. We are discussing the top stories of 2022, and we are previewing 2023. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at carol underscore castiel or 
Connect with us on Facebook at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. We'll back to you, Tracy Wilkinson, because the stories we talked about, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the extraordinary courage of Volodymyr Zelensky, the weakness, one could argue, of Vladimir Putin, and Roe v. Wade, the reverberations, the shift in the Supreme Court, and as we went to a break, Michael Williams was talking about the January 6th committee here in the United States. Let's continue on that. To what extent would you also agree with regard to that committee's investigation of the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol and how that will reverberate here and how that poses a very significant challenge to the nature of our own democracy here in the United States? Yes, no, I agree with Michael. I think that the January 6th proceedings have been monumentally important, historic. To see that body painstakingly going through so much evidence, so much documentation, interviews from a few courageous officials who came forward and told absolutely riveting and damning stories about what was going on inside the White House and in that sphere. I agree that they found truth and are seeking justice. I hope this very divided country sees it that way. That's my fear. So much has been so politicized and made partisan. And as Michael said, truth is kind of seen as a bad thing these days that I just hope that so many of these election deniers and people who just seem to not want to see the truth can at least appreciate the work of this committee and evaluate its findings in a more fair and reasonable way. But I do think that what we saw the Trump administration attempt to do and continue to attempt to do in the way that former President Trump apparently took classified documents with him to his estate in Florida. These are things that, you know, you just can't make up. It's unimaginable that these kinds of alleged violations of basic democratic principle would happen in this country. And yet, if everything that the committee is finding is in fact true and proven, that is what has been happening. And, you know, I just hope the country can survive and recover. I wish more Republicans had participated on the committee. That might have given it more widespread acceptance. But there were two very courageous Republicans who, of course, are not going to be in Congress anymore, in part for these efforts who did participate. But I very much appreciate what this committee has done. And I just hope that our wider United States will be as appreciative and willing to at least evaluate in a reasonable way what the evidence is and what the findings are. Michael Williams, picking up on what Tracy said, the January 6th committee has made criminal referrals against Trump to the Department of Justice. As you said, only the Department of Justice can make indictments. They referred him on charges of obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make a false statement, and inciting, assisting, or aiding and comforting an insurrection. So we shall see what the DOJ, the Department of Justice, eventually does. And of course, the taking of documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago documents that belong to the American people. So those things will have reverberate in 2023. But I wanted to ask you regarding this chain of events, we are going to see a divided government. Nonetheless, the midterms for the Democrats, they did much better, as I said, they were able to contain losses. What are your thoughts with regard to that particular election and what it says about President Biden. Well, it's interesting. And I'll just go back really quickly and say it's interesting. One of the charges is comforting an insurrection. And clearly when former President Trump said during his speech, when he finally told the insurrectionists to go home, go home and we love you. That always just sort of, like it always flicks a switch in my mind to that whole thing. When you talk about the charge being comforting, it's like, well, 
that's comforting. But getting well, to well, the, one other uh, thing, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the statement of there are good people on both sides. When he yes. talked about the neo-Nazis and white supremacists who marched in Charlottesville, Virginia, several years ago, he just can't seem to remain unequivocal. You know, he always has to give the both sides, which is a giveaway with regard to where he really stands. Yes, and even the Proud Boys in one of his campaign speeches, Proud Boys to stand down and stand by, another one that uh, resonates with me. But moving to the midterm elections, when you look at what President Biden has done during his term, I think legislatively, I would evaluate him as having done a lot under very challenging circumstances. Diplomatically, I think he's done a fair job in reestablishing the U.S. on the national stage and not abdicating that role as the previous president had. But legislatively, politically, I would say he has been successful on a historic level. Since Franklin Roosevelt first took office in 1933, presidents have lost an average of 28 House and four Senate seats in the midterms. And Biden, in an election where it was predicted he would lose both chambers by a wide margin. The party sealed a one-seat Senate majority. And while they lost the House, they didn't have the type of red wave that was being predicted. The fact that he helped to stave that off as a combination of his legislative accomplishment, which was, I think, significant given the fact that he had a Senate that had a very razor-thin majority, and a couple of those in the majority didn't necessarily act like they were a part of the majority <laughs> at times. And we were talking about Senator Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. But part of that is due to his accomplishment, but it's also due to the fact of the quality of the candidates that Republicans choose to run. You have people like Herschel Walker for his senator, a man who is essentially contrary to everything that the conservative agenda is about. He's an anti-abortion candidate who has had abortions in his life. The list of transgressions is too long to mention. And then you have a Republican House member, George Santos, who apparently we don't even know who he is. He's told so many lies and he's about to be seated, possibly. But it seems that what makes these guys perfect Republican candidates is what makes makes them remarkably poor choices to hold elected office. And it seems as though the public sees that. And while Republicans can't bring themselves to pull the switch for a Democrat in those elections, what it does do is make them stay home. And because they stay home, Republican candidates lose in places where you typically should not. So I think that those midterm elections were amazing for Biden. And now it remains to be seen now because coming into next year, in a couple of days, we start the 2024 election cycle. And what does it mean now? How will Democrats position themselves to try to win back the House, to retain the White House, all of these things? But that midterm election was historically good for Democrats and especially for President Joe Biden. Turning back to you, Tracy Wilkinson, despite many of President Biden's successes and specifically the Inflation Reduction Act, which contains significant climate change elements, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the so-called Chips and Science Act, even he passed a bipartisan gun safety legislation first time in 30 years. I mean, many things with a 50-50 Senate. Nonetheless, he has had some setbacks. Well, just to give credit where it's due, <laughs> and the list of bipartisan legislation that they were able to pass is the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act that finally makes lynching illegal and an act that protects same-sex and interracial marriage. So those are two important, perhaps less splashy than, you know, a trillion-dollar infrastructure act, but also important. And something else that Michael said I wanted to return to just very briefly is the goal of restoring the United States to its place on the world stage. And that has been a priority 
for Biden and his foreign policy team led by Secretary of State Antony Blinken, reviving the alliances that for 70 years the United States has relied on and been part of and led. And they did it with NATO, but they also have been looking at the Indo-Pacific region and other parts of the world. So that's been an important goal and partially achieved. So again, credit where credit's due. But I guess for me, the most glaring failure has been immigration. And it's not just this administration. No government recently has been able to solve this problem. The Biden administration from the very beginning returned to what is, in fact, an important issue, the root causes of migration. You know, why these people keep coming. And you can do whatever you want at the border. As we have seen, it won't stop people from trying to get here. And that's because the situations in home countries are so dire from political violence, social violence, poverty, food insecurity, exacerbated in part by climate change. So going after the root causes, the solution has to be a more comprehensive immigration reform. But again, there doesn't seem to be a lot of political will to do that. I think, again, that's something we'll be seeing next year efforts, but I'm not sure it's going to go anywhere. So that I think is a glaring failure, this inability to handle immigration. Although, as I say, it's not just this administration, it's been a historic problem. And Tracy, as we close the show, I'd like you to talk about any other story or... (laughs) Yes, I'd, I'd like to talk about Israel because we are about to see the most far right extremist government in Israeli history be sworn in, led by the eternal prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. But this time, surrounded by the man who is going to be put in charge of public security was convicted of inciting anti-Arab racist violence. The man who is going to be put in charge of settlement policy is a settler whose life mission is to expand settlements. And the government has issued its agenda in which expansion of settlements in the West Bank is the top priority. And to be clear, what that means is the picking away at what would have been a Palestinian state, the West Bank for the most part, where some 2.5 million Palestinians live, and now nearly half a million Israelis as Israel pushes these settlements forward and legalizes even the sort of smaller settlements that even Israel considered illegal until now. This is going to create a lot of problems for the Israeli relationship with the United States, although the administration has not really spoken out very much against this yet, claiming they're going to wait to see the policies. Well, I think we're seeing the policies. I don't think there's much doubt about what the policies are. So now the question is, how does the Biden administration maintain their ironclad relationship with Israel in defense of its security, but then find a government going against what the Biden administration calls its basic values. So I think that's going to be an interesting story to watch this next year. For you, Michael, you get the last word, whether you want to talk about the Atlas Lions during the World Cup, Iran protests, whatever you'd like to underscore as we close out the year and enter 2023. Well, I'll just start with that so that we could get it in, because one of the great philosophical questions in the world has been answered, which is which comes first, the Ronaldo or the Messi? And I will say the answer is the Messi. And uh, (laughs) send send your complaints to Carol, please. Uh, (laughs) 
As Tracy mentioned before, the idea of immigration being this huge issue in the United States, I think it's a global issue. If we look back five, six years and we think about what the wave of Syrian immigrants did to the entire world political structure, we called it the thin edge of the wedge right then that could foster a shattering of political norms and world order. And it certainly did that. That's happening at a domestic level at the southern border of the United States, and it continues to happen globally. And I think that there needs to be an understanding, a world understanding of how to handle immigration and asylum seekers in a world that has more people than ever that fit that description and in a world where it's easier than ever to move about and to try to leave a damaging or threatening situation where you are. Economically, politically, culturally, countries need to try to understand how to accept what is new in terms of cultures and people while maintaining their sense of identity and what they are, maintain traditions. The idea of how to do these things is critically important. The whole idea of a country itself. And I guess the last thing that I would say is that we need to really watch as we are fighting against aggression from Vladimir Putin, the rise of right-wing governments in Europe, Hungary, Poland, Italy, Sweden, all have very strong right-wing elements in their governments, and these are Western partners. So how do you deal with the tension of these anti-immigration right-leaning folks who have some sympathy with some of the arguments that even Vladimir Putin is making while maintaining this close alliance with the West? As with all of the things that we've talked about, it's a balancing act that requires talent, skill, patience, reason, and we just hope that our leaders have those in amounts equal to the task. And so on that note, that is all the time we have on this Top Stories edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guests, Tracy Wilkinson, senior foreign policy writer for the Los Angeles Times, and Michael Williams, Washington correspondent for Project 10 TV Australia. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week and next year for another Encounter on The Voice of America. 